Sometimes life is difficult and you just need a hand to lift you up. The Bible is full of those helping hands, but how do you access them? How do you apply them? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Gandhi once said, My life is my message. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, as a Christian, should you just be yourself? And our theme text is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain. Okay, so should you just be yourself as a Christian? Just be yourself. No one can ask any more of you than that. This is such free and easy advice. Someone has probably said it to you, and you've probably said it to someone else. Okay, what does it mean? Is being yourself just reacting to whatever comes your way with a knee-jerk impulse? Does being yourself mean that your personal preferences and feelings should be stated and followed? Do each of us have different selves that we can be? And what about Christians? Are we even supposed to be ourselves? Is our call to Christ a leave-it-all-behind call, or is it a take-it-with-you-and-we'll-build-on-it call? How do we better understand and apply our best selves to our Christian walk? So, Jonathan, it's about being yourself. What does that mean? In this segment, we're going to be talking about coming up with a, a, a way, a working way to deal with the idea of being yourself. And coming up later in the uh, podcast, we're going to take a view of two heroes of faith and courage and how they learned to be themselves. So that's coming up later on. But right now, Jonathan, here's the thing. First of all, what do you think? Should you just be yourself? Well, obviously the Lord saw potential in me when he called me. So So Jonathan that. says yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see. Let's see. Okay. But you're right. He saw potential. So he saw yourself and said, hey, there's something there that I can work with. That's right. a ding, 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 yes, a positive for being yourself. But here's the problem with this whole thing. To try to come up with one comprehensive definition of what it means to be yourself would be folly, frankly, for many would inevitably and justifiably see the matter from different perspectives. So what we're going to do is approach the idea, the subject of, quote, be yourself, by way of biblical text and observation. So let's start out with 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. This is the verse before the, 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 the theme scripture you just read, and then the theme scripture itself. So let's start with verse 9 from 1 Corinthians 15. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So here the apostle Paul is talking about himself. And he's saying that, you know, I, I was a persecutor of the church of God. And, and Jonathan, he wasn't just a run-of-the-mill persecutor of the church of God. 
No, Rick. He he drugged uh, brethren out of their houses and threw them in jail. I mean, he was the enemy of the Christian. Right. He hunted them down. Literally, he was hunting down Christians. And Paul, one could argue that Paul was just being himself. Hey, look, you know, these these Christian people ought not to be. I'm just going to go take care of the problem. I'm just being myself. You know, he was doing what his zeal, and it's interesting because he had a zeal for God. He oh, was, no doubt, Rick, no doubt. So his zeal for God provoked him to do that. So was that Paul being himself, persecuting the body of Christ? No, it wasn't. It was a misapplication. So here's what he says about that. Verse 10 from 1 Corinthians 15. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Okay, so he says he's laboring more. He says, I am what I am. And see, what he is when he's writing this is not what he was. So there is a massive changeover that happens in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul here. And this is the first step to trying to figure out what it means to be ourselves. So, Jonathan, as we go through this question throughout the podcast, as a Christian, should you just be yourself? We're going to have a, several lessons come up. And we're, we're simply trying to call them me, myself, and I lessons. So what's our first me, myself, and I lesson? Well, Rick, it's don't be fooled into thinking that what you do always clearly defines you. Okay. And Rick, like, like Paul, you know, with the Saul experience, we all have sorted backgrounds before we're called to, to follow Christ. So just because Saul did that really doesn't define who Paul was. Exactly. And see, this is such an important part of this whole, this whole picture of what it means to truly be yourself and what it means for a Christian to truly be themselves. Let's go to a soundbite from um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and this is Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, the introduction from a lecture. We're going to go back to this introduction several times throughout the podcast because he lays things out in a very clear, matter-of-fact uh, physiological way to understand how the brain works. So let's take a, take a walk into the darkness of the human brain and see what we find. So your brain, according to neuroscience, is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. Your brain is a record of your environment. It's a record, an artifact of your past. So if you believe this, then does your environment control your thinking or does your thinking control your environment? Okay, that's a simple question, okay? Your, your brain's an artifact. It's a collection of all of the things that have happened in your past. You can look in, into your brain and you can, you can find connective, connectivity to the different parts of your past. And he's saying, okay, but here's the thing. Are you a, a result of your environment, or is your environment a result of your thinking? Which is it? And he's, he's essentially saying there's a choice. So to be ourselves, what does that mean? We need to understand that we can either be along for the ride, or we can be driving by the grace of God. And we'll, we'll develop that a little further as we go. So here's a question. Why do so many of us simply not rise up to the blessed challenge of Christianity? Because you know what, Jonathan, the, the, the challenge of Christianity is self, self-sacrifice, and that's hard. 
And, and Rick, because the way we think about ourselves, uh, it may not let us follow in Jesus' footsteps. And that's one of the important points to begin with. Why do so many of us balk at that blessed challenge? Because being ourselves won't let us. Now, there's a great example of Scripture in that, that, that the lesson on being yourself is not the, really the main lesson of the parable, but I think it's a good side lesson. So we're going to take a very quick look at the parable of the sower. Remember, Jesus says he sowed seed and it fell on four different kinds of ground with four different kinds of results? Yep. Okay, so let's take a look at being yourself gone wrong. Okay, with the first seed, because remember, the seed is the good news of the gospel, the call of, of the gospel. First, we have the seeds that fell along the road, Jesus tells us in the parable. They were trampled underfoot, and the birds came and ate them up, and that was the end of that. And that's in Matthew thirteen nineteen. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom the seed was sown beside the road. Okay, so you, they hear the word of the kingdom, all right? Uh, they don't understand it. The evil one comes, and there's never a chance to understand it. And you say, well, you know what? And, but, but it's interesting. It says the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So it's not just merely an intellectual, I don't get it, but something was placed in the heart of that individual that they didn't grab a hold of. It, it, it didn't impress them enough somehow or other to, 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 to make it sink in at all. So when you look at this, what, what is that telling us about ourselves? Well, Rick, sometimes our sense of ourselves is cut off from growth because we're too hardened by life. And oftentimes when we say, well, look, you know, we use the phrase, oh, you know, I'm just being myself. We use it as an excuse to not apply ourselves, to not dig deeper, to not push harder, to not overcome more fully, to not step forward, whatever it is. We use that as an excuse. And in this example, that hard road, you're right. The, your sense of yourself cuts you off from the opportunity for growth. And what good is that? I mean, what kind of self is that? Is that the kind of self you want to stay with? Uh, it shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, no, that's really good. I'm glad you said it that way. Because you're right. It shouldn't be, but oftentimes it is. Why? Because we get tired. We lose confidence. We're not sure about our ability to change or grow or develop or follow something new and different and higher because of all of the things that are happening in our lives. And, and folks, look, how often has that happened to you? I know it's happened to me. So we've got to look at this and, and see it in a, in a different light. Okay, let's go back to Dr. Joe Dispenza again for another, another piece of that introduction to this lecture on breaking the habit of being yourself. So first he talked about your brain is an artifact, you know, and, and, and you know, are you going to follow the, the dictates of the environment or can you dictate the environment? I mean, and we're, are we saying that you do this, this Vulcan mind meld and you can change the way things happen? No, that's not what we're saying, okay? What we are trying to do is say there's something more to it in terms of choice. So here in this particular soundbite, he's talking about the repetitions of life. And this is really, really telling. So your brain, according to neuroscience, is organized to reflect everything you know in your life. Your brain is a record of your environment. It's a record, an artifact of your past. Sorry, that was the wrong soundbite. 
Let's try this one. So if you wake up in the morning and you get out of bed on the same exact side as you did the day before, you shut the alarm clock off with the same finger, you slip into your favorite slippers, you shuffle into the bathroom and you use the toilet like you always do, then you walk over to the mirror and you look at yourself to remember who you are, <laughs> then you get into the shower and you wash yourself in the same routine way, then you groom yourself to look like everybody expects you to look, then you go downstairs and you drink coffee out of your favorite mug. Then you drive to work the same way as you did the day before. You see the same people that push the same emotional buttons. You do the exact thing that you know how to do and you memorize and can do so well that you're an expert at. Then you hurry up and rush home so you can hurry up and check your emails. So you could hurry up and go to bed so you can hurry up and do it all over again. <laughs> Now, here's my question. Did your brain change at all that day? We could say that you were thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, that create the same experiences, that produce the same emotions, but secretly expecting something to change in your life. And that last line is key, but secretly expecting something to change. And, he's, and his point is, you know, you got to put it together. You got to see the whole picture. And, you know, the interesting thing about that, Jonathan, life's repetitions, we all do that. We do. Over the last week, my repetitions in life completely changed, not because I decided they were going to. Oh, they did, Rick. Big time. Yeah, we actually, folks, and this is, this is interesting. We'll, we'll touch on this story periodically as we go through, but there was actually a tornado that came through our neighborhood. And, and Jonathan, the dev devastation is just, it's hard to fathom. And we were watching the news and we saw your street. Yeah. On the news. Our street was <laughs> like, on the news. That's Rick's street. Yeah. Well, you should, I mean, <laughs> the trees that came down around our house and the, the tops of the trees that were cut off. And of course, with a storm like that, it comes and goes very quickly. And then you're left with no power. And, you know, in our area, nobody has city water, it's all wells. So there's no power, no water, no internet. The repetitions of life tend to change dramatically. In an instant. Whoa. <laughs> Because now you're focused on survival, and it makes you think about life differently. So it was an interesting experience, and we'll, we'll delve more into it uh, about God's providential grace in this experience, as well as the difficulties and some of the lessons. But, you know, it, it taught me, listening to that sound by that, ah, oh, so this is what it's like to do things totally differently. <laughs> Not by choice either. All right. So it's interesting to look at life and say, You know, sometimes we need to have us, things shake us up. Well, you know, sometimes it's more literal than not, but anyway. <laughs> so, look, we, we had, the, we had the, the, uh, the, the seeds that fell along the road, remember, that really hard ground. In that parable now, the next are the seeds that fell in the rocky places. Immediately they sprang up because there was no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, they were scorched, and they withered because of the lack of depth of soil. That's in Mark 4, 4 verses 16 and 17. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they had no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when afflicted or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. So in the previous, with the, with the, with the really, really hard ground that was the road, you had mentioned that the sense of ourselves cut us off from growth because we were too hardened by life. What about in this where you have the rocky places? 
Well, Rick, sometimes our sense of ourselves wants to grow and change, but we don't make room for the change to be permanent. It's like we start out and then it fizzles. Right, because the rocky places indicate there's too many hard things in the way to create the change. And this is all about being myself. What is myself supposed to be? What has it been? And should it continue to be what it has been? Or should there be something that changes? That's what we want to get to. So you get to a point sometimes where yourself, you want to change. You want to, th- you want to see things differently. You want to feel things differently. You want to experience things differently. But you're still a little bit stuck. So what's the me, myself, and I lesson from this second uh, self Uh, observation from the parable of the sower. Our true selves can easily be masked by life's pace and be misplaced priorities. Okay. So our true selves, whatever they may be, it can be masked. It can be covered over. It can be disguised because of the pace of life and the misplaced priorities of life. And what we end up doing is spending and focusing on things that aren't really are not quite so important. So, Sir Jonathan, this ends up being a little bit, uh, this, is, this, is get, this is tough to get your head around. I mean, so look, so being myself isn't necessarily being myself. Now I'm confusing myself. That's not surprising. No, thanks. Look at it this way. Being ourselves is bigger than our present moment feeling. How do we dig deep to our deeper selves? We're excited to be hearing from our growing listening audience at ChristianQuestions.com through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also chat with us now during the live broadcast. You know what would be really awesome? If you can leave us a review when you subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and others. It helps us reach even more people. Thank you for subscribing and reviewing. Now, let's take the next steps in our comprehensive conversation. So this is where the issue begins to get confusing because it's so easy to label ourselves as the sum total of what our present experiences bring to us. Turns out that being yourself has a lot more options than just the current level of circumstances. Turns out we can really have a choice regarding the future of us, whatever that us might be. And that us is, you know, plural or singular, rather, us meaning you, you being you and me being me, we being us as individuals. We can have a choice regarding the future of what our self actually looks like. And that's what this podcast is really needing to focus on is how do we do that? How do we make being myself take the just out of it? And being myself meaning something much bigger, something much more. Let's go to uh, another, another soundbite from uh, a TED Talk from Emily Warren. And she's talking about the myth of self-discovery. And it's interesting because, you know, as she will describe, you know, people are always thinking about, you know, got to find themselves. She has a very interesting perspective on that. In my past two years of graduate school, I have learned something that I think is more important and more valuable than any class you'll take as a PhD student. How many of you have ever felt the need to find yourselves? A lot of you. Me too. We are driven by this need, this expectation, that our all-important purpose in our adult lives is to find ourselves, that our enlightened selves are out there somewhere, waiting to be discovered. 
Huh. I think that makes us treat the present moment like a placeholder. And that last line to me is just profound. By waiting for ourselves to be discovered and you're waiting and you know it's right around the corner, the present becomes a placeholder. You just you just sort of biding your time. And it ends up Jonathan, what it ends up being is an excuse to not move. And you lose time. You do. And you, to put value to your life. Exactly. And and folks, be yourself. Is that what yourself is? Is is that the sum total of what being yourself is? We had the road that the seeds fell on, you know, just too hardened to be able to absorb change, even though it was sown into their hearts. We had the rocky places. There was no room for the change. In this parable, the next are the seeds that fell among the thorns. The thorns choked those seeds out, and they bore no fruit. That's in Mark four eighteen and 19. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for each other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Okay, so, you know, we're looking at our sense of ourselves. We're looking at this parable. This is not the main lesson of the parable, but I think these are some good side lessons. And the last side lesson, Jonathan, about our sense of ourselves is sometimes we want to grow and change, but we don't make room for the change to be permanent. That was the rocky places. Well, what about the thorns? Ah, How does it fit in with that? Well, Rick, sometimes our sense of ourselves diverts our focus away from higher things to things we see as pressing. Okay. Now, I can thoroughly relate to things that you see as pressing. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, after the tornado experience. After the tornado and there's no electricity and there's no running water. Look, there's a few pressing needs when you have no running water, okay? Let me clue you. (laughs) And so, you know, what happens when there are things that you see as pressing? Do they so overwhelm you that there's no room for anything else? Or do they become things that are simply pressing, but you make room for things that are are more uh, uh, valuable in the long haul? And I will admit, Jonathan, in the last week, that was a challenge. Oh, I bet. Well, because you know what? I am not used to fetching water, okay? (laughs) I'm not used to life by candlelight and flashlight. You know, I'm not used to those things. So it was a really interesting experience. It's been a week, and we still don't have power yet. Uh, Hopefully tomorrow morning will be, uh, power will be restored. Uh, But just, just, you know, the pressing issues of life can be a great excuse, or they can simply be a challenge on the road to something bigger. Okay, so let's go again. Let's go back. We have a lot of sound bites that are going to hopefully help put the, the, the way we think out on the table so we can be really honest with ourselves and say, okay, I want to be myself in the best way possible. What does that mean I do? What does that mean I think? What does it mean I don't do and don't think? So we're going back to uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, his uh, introduction to his lecture, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And uh, again, he's going to get into some very interesting things philosophically about being ourselves. So can you believe in a future that you can't see or experience with your senses yet, but you've thought about enough times in your mind that your brain is literally changed to look like the event has already happened? Neuroscience says it's absolutely possible. Now, your personality... Your personality creates your personal reality. That's it. It's that simple. 
And your personality is made up of how you think, how you act, and how you feel. So the present personality who's sitting here today, you, has created the present personal reality called your life. Would you agree? Would you also agree then if you wanted to create a new personal reality that on a fundamental level you would have to change the thoughts that you are thinking, the behaviors and habits that you're demonstrating, and the emotions that you've memorized that's become part of your identity? And most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, and it never works. Isn't that powerful? That is very. Because, you know, he's talking about the idea, can you, can you visualize a life that you really can't touch? And that's what being a Christian is. You know, when you visualize following after Christ and, and being Christ-like, that's not something that's really tangible from our own perspective. It's something that you have to really stretch yourself out for. But his point is, that many of us, when we see that thing that is, that is out there that we really want to stretch towards, we never get there because we're not willing to change the things that are making us what we are. What we think, how we act, and how we feel. Right, right. And so now that brings us to the fourth kind of ground in the parable of the sower. That's the seeds that fell on good soil. They grew up and they were fruitful, some 30, 60, or 100 fold. The point is there was lots of harvest out of the good ground. So in terms of being yourself, let's take a look at that parable, this time from the Luke account, Luke 8, uh, 15. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. So you've got this good soil. They hear it. They have that heart and they hold it and they make a place for it, and they make space for it, and give it room to expand, and it begins to overwhelm them. See, now this soil, Jonathan, now has a purpose. Yes, exactly, Rick. And the three previous soils didn't have a purpose. They all had the opportunity for a purpose. So in being yourself, are you going to be one of those soils that has an opportunity for purpose but doesn't take it? Or are you going to be that soil that says, Lots of room. And you know what happens in soil? When, when, when a plant starts to grow, that soil becomes dominated by the roots. And that soil's objective is to give roots as much room as they possibly can so it can grow those plants. What a, it, that's what Jesus is telling us. So good soil, uh, well, first of all, what's the me, myself, and I lesson uh, here that from these last two types of ground? Well, Rick, when we have accepted ourselves as mere passengers in our experiences, we therefore end up at a destination that may not be of our choosing. Most of the time, folks, when we say I'm just being myself, what we're saying, let me translate that. I'm just going along for the ride. And wherever the ride happens to bring me, well, I'm just being myself, so that's where I end up. That is not what being yourself is really all about. That's what we're trying to drive at with this particular parable. And it's interesting, the good soil experience did not accept the passenger status. It didn't say that, no, I'm just going to go along. It said, I'm going to develop something. My whole reason for being now has a focus, and everything that I do is going to be to grow that gospel within the confines of what, what I am. That's what we want to look at in terms of being ourselves. So, 
a lot more to develop and come with this idea of what does it mean to be yourself? And what really, Jonathan, what we're saying is don't settle for just being yourself. What you said at the beginning was true and important. We have potential, right? Right. And God saw something in you. Right. So you do need to be yourself. But I would submit you don't need to just be yourself. That's how we want to focus on this. One more uh, for this segment for, from Dr. Joe Dispenza, his lecture, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Um, and listen, listen carefully. He's talking about how the brain works, and it really helps us to see things in a bigger way. So then as you keep thinking the same thoughts, performing the same actions, and living by the same experiences that produce the same emotions, there's a principle in neuroscience that says nerve cells that fire together wire together. And if you keep repeating the same states of mind and body over and over again, your brain begins to fi fire in the same sequences and the same patterns and same combinations. And whenever you make your brain work in a certain way, that's called mind. Mind is the brain in action. So as you remind yourself every day who you think you are, you're causing your brain to fire in the exact same ways. And as they fire and wire in the same patterns over time, the brain moves into a very finite signature, and that's called your personality. Now, that box in your brain isn't literally a box, but it's the most commonly wired, neurologically fired programs that run redundantly because we keep doing the same things over and over again. So what he's saying is when we remind ourselves of who we think we are, what ourselves are, I'm just being myself, we are, we are, we are firing those neurons again and again and again. And by doing so, they create the habit and the wiring that confirms what we have told our brain we are. That can be either good or not so good or, right. re or really bad. <laughs> Okay. All right. So, so Jonathan, based on, based on that soundbite, what, what kinds of those redundant thinking patterns that he was talking about are good and should be kept intact as we seek to find our best self? Because some are bad, some are good. So, so what kinds of those redundant things, things that just happen again and again, should we hold on to? Well, Rick, obviously, as Christians developing Christlikeness, we want to put in the good habits to change who we are to who we want to be, uh, and that's Christlike. So one of the goals in my mind is begin with the end in mind. I want to be faithful to the Lord, so I want to do certain things to help prove that my faithfulness is true. And some of those ingredients, Rick, are prayer, and then meditate for answers to those prayers that you, you've talked to the Lord with. Um, study God's word, keep that going, fellowship with the brotherhood, testifying um, the experiences that you're going through to get input from others. Um, and something I, I like to do, because uh, I have the ability to do this, sing hymns throughout the day. Keep the focus on praising and honoring the Lord and not thinking of self and, and selfishness. So begin with the end in mind. That's, a, that's one of the seven uh, habits of highly effective people from Stephen Covey. Great, great, great book. And, and what you're saying is put it into practice again and again and again. Make it those redundant habits that you can go back to without even thinking about, and there you are, because now you're reminding your, your brain of a better self. So those are really powerful baseline suggestions. Let, let's take a look now at a, at a practical scripture op application. John the Baptist, 
He showed us the necessary fundamental change needed uh, before ourselves can be successfully reimagined. The people heard his message, and they felt his message, and they needed more guidance. So in Luke 3, 1 to 16, we'll take selected verses, different groups of individuals came to him and said, okay, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? It's interesting what he says to each one. So let's go uh, verses, um, uh, verse, uh, verse 10. And the crowds were questioning him, saying, Then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food is to do likewise. So what was his better self-message to the crowd, saying, Well, what do we do? Well, Rick, it's love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, Jonathan, that comes out in a, in a much more dramatic, easy-to-see to way, like with the tornado situation. You know, uh, our neighbors who live right in front of us, they're, they're renting my brother's house, and uh, they're a lot younger than we are. And poor young lady, she was really freaked out, you know, while this thing was happening. I can't say as a blamer. And, uh, you know, our experience with our neighbors was, okay, we share everything at this point. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, gathering water and she needs a place to work. My office has internet. So she comes to my office and she's, you know, works at my office. Um, uh, when, when we, my mom got power back before we, before we did, cause we're far further away from the road. So the generator is between the two houses. One cord goes to her house, their house, the other cord goes to ours. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's so much easier to think in those terms when you have a dramatic circumstance, the trick, the key, the power is to take it when life is normal and still be that way. Oh, that's a challenge. It is. And I have said it, so now it's a challenge for me. <laughs> okay, back to Luke 3 and John the Baptist, verses 12 and 13. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you have been ordered to. What's the better self-message that he gave to the tax collectors? Uphold the law. Respect your neighbor as your equal. So the first one, love your neighbor as, neighbor as yourself, was a giving self. This one, respect your neighbor as your equal, is a respectful self. So John is telling each group of individuals how to be their best selves. What's the next message? Verses, uh, or verse 14 to the soldiers. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, What about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, but be content with your wages. And his better self-message was? Use strength and power justly and contentedly. And see, that is a pride-less self. So John is hitting all of the areas of being your best self. Verses 15 through 16, his final better self-message here. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the lace of his sandals. So you have John talking about the coming of Jesus. What's his better self message there? Watch and wait for, for true greatness is coming. So he's talking about an open-minded self. So we've got this giving self, respectful self, a prideless self, and an open-minded self, which brings us to the final me, myself, and I lesson of this segment, and that is... The foundation for our better selves is Bible-based principles. 
it's really simple. Look at the scriptures and you can find the principles for everything. Okay, so, so let, me, let me try this again. Being myself is not just a destiny. There are choices. There are, and we need to pay attention. What is the learning process of a Christian that will help them find their best self? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. You know, with a solid foundation of biblical principles in place, we can now focus on building our best self. To do so requires learning, but not just the compiling of new and helpful information. Christian learning also requires the application of those things that will help us grow beyond our present circumstance-driven reactions to life. And that's the key, growing beyond the present circumstance-driven uh, reactions that we have. Well, Rick, when we opened this segment, uh, we talked about we want to hear feedback from people, even if they disagree with us. Well, Rick, we've we've had a lot of disagreement as of as of late on 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 Facebook, and it's because the topic that that we did uh, on on hell, mm-hmm. and and we've had a lot of negativity. And and if I was sitting in that seat of negativity, I might be thinking, well, Rick. That tornado was sent to you for a purpose because you misrepresented what I believe. So what do you think about that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, I think, you know, our best selves need to be really careful about judging one another. (laughs) (laughs) But secondly, when you think about it, Jonathan, my experience in that tornado, my experience, my wife's experience, my mom's experience who lives next door was not an experience of punishment. It was an experience of blatant deliverance because you know what happened is the way the damage happened i mean the huge trees that fell fell across our driveway and incidentally my wife got home literally three minutes before that storm started she drove down the driveway if her car was there it would have been over because these trees weighed thousands of i mean trees we're talking trees 80 feet tall okay wow and and so this was blatant deliverance the storm I believe, went over our house. You know, tornadoes sometimes are on the ground and sometimes they're above the ground. And sometimes they bounce. Yeah, and I really think that that's what happened. But when you look at the damage all around the house of the sheared off trees and the trees down, to me, this was God's tender, loving care saying, this time, this time, you're delivered. Maybe not next time, but this time. So to me, that's my response is you had to see it to believe it, and you look at it and you say, God's providence is amazing. And to me, the message is keep doing what you're doing. Go hard, go fast, because the Lord is wants you uh, uh, intact at this moment. It may change the next moment, but right now, here's where we are. So that's an interesting sideline. And, and, and folks, look, you know, with all of that disagreement, fine. Keep it coming, just be respectful, because it's a matter of being able to talk out things. Let's be our best selves in that kind of conversation. Let's go back to Dr. Joe uh, Dispenza, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And, uh, you know, this next soundbite is about learning, learning how to change your mind some. To change your mind, then, is to make the brain work in new sequences and new patterns and new combinations, to begin to make the brain work differently. 
And the one ingredient that allows us to do that is knowledge or information. Because every time you learn something new, you make a new connection in your brain. That's what learning is. Learning is forging new connections. Remembering is maintaining or sustaining those connections. So now, every time you have a thought, you make a chemical. And if you have a great thought or an unlimited thought or a joyful thought, you turn on a set of circuits in your brain that fires in a very specific sequence, pattern, and combination that produces a level of mind that turns on another part of the brain that makes a chemical for you to begin to feel exactly the way you were just thinking, great or unlimited or joyful. So he's talking about what literally happens physically, physiologically in the brain. And he's saying, forge the new thinking and sustain it, and your brain will keep it for you because it's nice. going to create the chemicals. So that's good news in terms of finding our highest and best self. So it's about change. The process of change begins with new thoughts and applying them in new directions. So new thoughts, new directions. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. We're going to take it in pieces. Let's start with verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is framing our best selves to be like his, thoroughly committed to Christ. And it's interesting thing about Peter is he was always thoroughly committed to Christ, but he had to grow into being able to live that thorough commitment. We're going to come back to that later on in the podcast. This is a vulnerable place to be. As a result, it carries a specific gift from God. Being thoroughly committed to Christ leaves you exposed on every, on, on, on every front. And you can, persecution, difficulty, uh, internal temptations, all of those things be, are, are in play. So what do you get as a result of that? How, how does God help us with that? Well, let's look at verses 2 and 3 of Second Peter chapter 1. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Grace and peace be multiplied. Grace and divine power. All things needed that pertain to life and godliness. This gives our best selves a real opportunity to succeed. And Jonathan, without God's grace, God's peace, and all things that pertain to life and godliness, we're toast. Absolutely, Rick. Just Absolutely. Got nothing. Verse four. Verse four. Uh, ooh, my verse four is missing, so why don't you read it? Well, how about that? Well, yes. verse four is really important, Jonathan. It says well, I, had, I had a space here and nothing's printed. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty interesting. It says for for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. See what you're missing? So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So God supplies the things that we need to find our higher selves. That's the key. We all have fear in our lives. We're all afraid of something or other when we're trying to achieve the levels of our higher selves. Let's go back to Emily Warren and her TED Talk, The Myth of Self-Discovery, and she's going to talk about her biggest fear. And this is, this is profound because it fits so many of our lives. A lot of people will talk to you about their biggest fear. So I'm going to tell you mine. My biggest fear 
is reaching the end of my life and realizing that I was never awake to any of it. Never in the present moment. Because I was so focused on what I should be doing or where I should be going. A life spent constantly searching for who I'm supposed to be instead of learning about who I am. That's a really powerful fear that I think resonates. I mean, I, I, you're shaking your head a lot. Oh, Rick, if you're a task-oriented person, you can just forget the reality around you. Oh, I've got to do this job, get this done, get this done. And you can miss everything. And I can relate to her. So, so that's a legitimate fear of, oh, yeah. of, of not being in the moment. So we've got to work on that. We've got to work on how do we get ourselves to be more in the moment? Because this is about, you know, okay, should you just be yourself? And the answer is be yourself, but not just yourself. And we've got to, we've got to raise that up. And actually this, this next section of this, this, of this segment begins to put the next really important piece in place. There's been a, a piece that we've talked around but haven't talked about until now. Our, and, and we've been talking about the circumstances in life. So our environmentally driven self continues, continually battles fear and failure. And that's what, that's what Emily Warren was just talking about. It's what you just relate about your own experiences. I can relate to that as well. With such advantages as we have been given, that we just read in Second Peter chapter one verses one through four, uh, we can stare these down by applying them to our spiritually driven self. Now, Jonathan, up to this point, we haven't used those words. No, but they are key for the Christian that wants to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We need to focus on those words, Rick. Our spiritually driven self. So when we talk about, well, just be yourself. What about what self? What is your spiritually driven self? How is it different from just being yourself? There are massive differences, but you know what, Jonathan? The spiritually driven self is vital to being ourselves if we're going to be a Christian. And Rick, um, I have like a 12-step process that I came up with during this, uh, this podcast, uh, and I'll just cover like, like four really fast. Okay. I know we're yeah, 12 is a lot. Time. Yeah. Right, go ahead. But the first thing is you make a vow to the Lord to do his will and not your own. So there's a change, a commitment there. Okay. Number two, you are baptized. You're a full body immersion to show others what has taken place in your heart. You're dead with self and you're raised in newness of life. Number three, you put away fleshly interests and habits because this is a change. This is a new life. And number four, Bible study, put in the good. You need to absorb it so that you know what your mission is. And as, as Peter said, look at those precious promises that are out there for you if you're faithful. Okay. Read and ingest them. Okay, so, so you said you've got, these, you've got 12 steps. Those are the first yeah. four. Yeah. You've got, you got to come back to the four next segment, okay? And then right, four right, and four there. Right. Because this is important because this is about your spiritually driven self. What you described is precisely the steps toward getting that spiritually driven self to be your primary self. Yes. So how do we get there? Remember, this, this segment's about learning the process that a Christian needs to put in place. 
verses, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, now gives us a lot more, more, more to hold on to in terms of process. Let's go with those. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge, self-control in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So you've got all of these things, and these are a whole podcast all by themselves, but he's saying, okay, it's great. You start with faith, but then you have to have this moral excellence. You've got to be your higher self. You've got to have uh, knowledge. You've got to be your higher self. You've got to have self-control. You've got to be your higher self. Perseverance, you've got to be your higher self. Godliness, you've got to be your higher self. Brotherly kindness, be your higher self. And love. So he's saying these are the things that help to create that higher self. Adding these qualities is the application of the knowledge necessary to reach our best spiritual self. It's not just about your best self anymore. If you're a Christian, it's about your best spiritual self. doesn't matter what happens to the other self. This is the one. This is the key. This is the whole, the secret to happiness for a Christian is to be your best spiritual self. Verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now see, I love the way he, he says this. If these, these qualities are yours and are increasing. increasing. Yes. Increasing. You're always growing, constantly growing. Right. So the key is not just to be there, but to continue moving through wherever there is, because there's just always another level. So what's the me, myself, and I lesson here? Conscience awareness of our spiritually driven self will create a recognizable field of battle so that we may continually choose our spiritual self over our earthly self. Okay, you have to have a conscious awareness, and that creates a recognizable field of battle. If you're consciously aware of your spiritual self, then the field of battle becomes easier to, to, to recognize, and that gives you the ability to overcome. Uh, Jonathan, we're going to pause here before our next soundbite. Uh, Trish has a comment or question. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> well just kind of struck me when you were talking about this um, scripture, and I think it's Peter that you just read. Do you ever wonder why um, he says, and for this reason, applying all diligence, add to your faith, all these things? I, the way it struck me is that because if we're just to be ourselves, this isn't natural. Right. I mean, if this were natural, we wouldn't have be having this conversation. So right now, ourselves doesn't go toward the upper road. It goes down the other way. So I think that when he said, should we just be ourselves? Who wants to be ourselves? I mean, it's good. You know, I like what Jonathan said, who we are is valuable. But what we are, that's a different story. All right, and you know, and that's a that's a good thought. You know, it, it's not a natural process. Being Christian is not natural, and therefore not easy. But it is the most worthwhile thing you will ever, ever, ever embark on if you take it seriously. Thank you, Trish, for those uh, those thoughts on that. Let's go to uh, Doctor uh, Joe Dispenza, uh, breaking the habit of being yourself, and now he's going to get into a little bit on negative thoughts. Now, if you have a negative thought or an unhappy thought, 
or self-depreciating thought, you turn on a different set of circuits and a different combination, a different sequence and a different pattern that produces a different level of mind. And the brain then begins to make a different batch of chemicals that signals the body for you to begin to feel exactly the way you were just thinking, negative or unhappy or unworthy. So the moment you begin to feel the way you think, because the brain is in constant communication with your body, you begin to think the way you feel, which makes more chemicals for you to feel the way you think, and then you think the way you feel, and then you feel the way you think, and then you think the way you feel. And some people do this for 20 or 30 or 40 years. Now, the redundancy of that cycle over time creates what I call a state of being. So think the way you feel, feel the way you think. It's a process, and when it's negative, boy, it brings you down a bad road. So, Jonathan, based on that, what are some of the best ways to combat the redundancy of negative thoughts and being? Well, how about four words? Don't think that way. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good start. (laughs) But, I mean, it's not profitable. You need to change your thinking. Uh, Replace it with a positive spiritual thought. Uh, but you have to be constantly aware of, of what you're thinking. And discipline, Rick, has a lot to do with it. And just simply, you have to just just change. You have to stop, reset, and, and, and think spiritually. And, you know, and it sounds easy to say that, okay, I'm going to stop, reset, and think spiritually, and then we fall down. Okay, then get up and stop and, and reset. <laughs> right. And when you fall down, just get up and just get up. And just get up. It's you're right. It has a lot to do with discipline. You know, when we go down roads that bring us back to our earthly self, we need to reconnect. That's like you said. We're a little bit long in the segment, Jonathan. But First Corinthians ten thirteen is a great promise for combating the negativity of our thinking and of our life. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So basically, God is telling us, I already know about the negative thought patterns and the negative experience patterns, and I've got you covered on that. Nothing is going to happen to you if you are following Christ that's going to, that, that has to deter you, but you have to choose the higher road. So being a Christian means that the parameters of being yourself are now different. Very different, which raises another question. Should we as Christians institute the changes to be our Christian selves or wait for God to do it for us? Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. This does present an important question as our desire for that spiritual self can actually put us in a position of trying to fit into a maturity level that we may not be ready for or even fit for. Spiritual mindedness is not a buffet line of character traits and wisdom. Rather, it is a production and assembly line of Christ-like character and maturity. You've got to assemble it. You've got to put it together. It's got to go through the entire building process. Don't just be yourself. Focus on being your Christ-like self, your spiritually-based self, 
that's really what we where we want to get to with all of this. So, so Jonathan, let's before we get into more of the conversation, let's go back to uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza um, again. And you know, he he last talked about negative thoughts, and before that, he talked about you know positive thoughts and what the brain does. And what he's telling us is so valuable to help us understand. Okay, I can actually change what I think being myself is if I if I cooperate with the process. It's really about cooperating with the process. Let's listen. And a state of being is when your mind and body are working together or your thoughts are f- and feelings are aligned to a concept. So thoughts are the language of the brain and feelings are the language of the body. And as people get caught in this cycle of thinking and feeling and feeling and thinking, over time, they condition their body to memorize that emotion as well as the conscious mind. And whenever the body knows as well as the mind, that's called a habit. A habit is when your body is the mind. Now, 95% of who you are by the time you're 35 years old is a set of memorized behaviors, set of emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, attitudes that run just like a computer program. So he's saying, you know, we, we really set ourselves into a pattern. And, and we've got to, you've got to do something to break that pattern. And you know what, Jonathan, what a lot of people do, you know, people, you know, there, there's a, and I don't know if they're still on TV or not, but there, there were shows about makeovers, you know, and you get a makeover and, you know, now you can feel better about yourself and all of that. And you think, okay, really? Is that really going to work? Because here's the thing. We don't need to get a makeover. We have been made over in Christ. It's already been done. All we have to do is cooperate with it and walk toward that higher standard. It really is remarkable when you think about this. But our habits, our habits of thinking about ourselves, about being me, can get in the way and they can be disastrous. And let's look at one of those difficult habits that got somebody, somebody of great faith, into great trouble. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verses 26 to 31. This is uh, the last night of Jesus' life uh, before his crucifixion. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Okay, so we're starting off with something pretty simple, pretty straightforward. They're out going out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is literally, now think about this, literally he's on his way to the place of his betrayal and the beginning of the, his night of trial and he gently warns his friends. He's, now, they're on their way, and here's what he says to them. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So the warning was gentle and firm, and it was a prophecy. So, Jonathan, think about this. You're walking with Jesus, and he says you're all going to be scattered. And what's the reason that he gives? Does he say you're going to be scattered because you're afraid? You're going to be scattered because you're going to be outnumbered? He says you're going to be scattered because prophecy says, and he quotes an Old Testament scripture. That's a powerful warning. Peter was there. What's Peter's reaction? We're in Mark chapter 14, verses 29 and 30. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. So Jesus is brutally honest 
and specific with Peter. But Peter's vision of himself stifled his own ability to hear. Peter heard the words, and, and again, this is, this is a Rick uh, thinking on, on the scripture, okay? Peter hears the words, you will all fall away, and he starts thinking, oh, no, 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 I'm not falling away. I'm staying with you. Now, Jesus is about to quote scripture, saying this prophecy is about to come true. Peter's not listening to the prophecy. He's thinking, not me. Oh, no, not me. So, you know, Jesus uh, tells him, look, not only are you going to fall away, you're going to deny me. What's Peter's reaction? But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. So Peter has been warned and he now is fighting. Now he's digging in because his view of himself is tough guy. His view of himself is I'm the one who's faithful. Now, look, I know that Peter believed that. He did. And, and I know that that was Peter's absolute depth of heart intention to stay with the Lord. But what he wasn't able to do was recognize the difference between his intention and his capacity. Peter was warned and then shown what would happen. He failed. He failed. We all know the story. He failed miserably. He was later forgiven, and this all led to his spiritual self becoming capable of leading the flock. And so, Jonathan, what had to happen for Peter is the weakness of his earthly self had to be exposed so the strength of his spiritual self could be built. And, and, and the end result of that was, becoming, was greatness in the sight of God. That's huge, Rick. And sometimes the hardest experiences we go through are the biggest changes in spiritual growth in our lives. And I love that. And, and it's, it's, it's so true, you're right, of every one of us. So what's the me, myself, and I lesson here? Because this is a big one in relation to being ourselves. Sometimes what we think we are is simply a personal potential that is yet to be developed. and you know what and and i will tell you that i have had that experience many times over in life where you think you got it but you really don't but you have to be able to grow into it and rick i wanted to come up with the four more points on my list of 12 uh number five um okay wait wait before you do that so these are these are a list of 12 things to that that do what well, it's a process to change to a spiritual life. From from a fleshly life, you've made a commitment to do the Lord's will. Okay. So it's, it's drawing close to the Lord and trying to be faithful. Okay, go ahead. My fifth point is observe others uh, because of their experience in the way. So you can learn a lot by observation. Um, number six, look for opportunities to serve. You know, try to help the brotherhood. Number seven, ask questions. You're looking to soak up knowledge so that you can understand uh, your, the mission that you have uh, in Christ. And number eight, study topically, because it's a, a different way of just reading the Bible, but it'll help you cue in on what different subjects truly mean. So, so and again, what you're saying, the, all of these steps, and there's, I can't wait for the next, the next four in the next segment, uh, these are steps that are practical ways of walking the path of developing your highest spiritual self. And yes. typically, when we develop our highest spiritual selves, we leave behind a lot of our earthly selves. 
Amen. It's a choice, it's a trade-off, and it's worth it. So let's look at uh, another soundbite. Let's look at. Let's listen to another soundbite from Emily Warren, The Myth of Self-Discovery. This is interesting because she talks about walking a path. And again, she brings out something really profound here in, in this particular lesson. There is a beautiful wilderness trail here in Claremont. We call it the Wilderness Loop. Just a short time ago, I went on a hike on this trail with a friend. We spent hours trekking up and down those dusty hills. But afterward, I couldn't remember any of it. Not the sights, not the sounds, not the smells. I had been so fixated on myself, worrying if I was on the right path in life. And where did I end up? At the end of the path, right back where I had started. It's interesting that she is so fixated on herself, she didn't see anything around her, and she missed the beauty of it. So, so Jonathan, you look at that, what, what she just expressed. How do we determine whether or not the things we think are capable, I'm, I'm sorry, the things that we think that we're capable of are really within our capacity, or if they are simply a wish for our best self? How do we determine what, 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 which is which? Well, Rick, with, with God's help, we can do anything. But what came to mind is when I was given this crazy idea to start a Christian talk radio show some 20 years ago, I thought, wow, what a great idea. Was, was I capable? No way. But did I do it anyway? Yes. <laughs> For a good reason. Why? It was to bring praise, honor, and glory to my heavenly father. You know, sometimes we need to put ourselves out there. But Rick, especially with the help and the co-laboring of others, that made it possible. Because could I have done it alone? No way. But when I talked and shared and, and we started working together, it was like, we can do this by God's grace. But of ourselves, we had no clue. Right. And, and you know, when you look at, at, at Christian questions and, and, and the blessings that we've been able to experience, same, same thing. You know, I had no idea what we were getting into. And, but you, you take your best step forward, and, and you, you, we did a lot of stumbling and falling. We still do a lot of stumbling and falling. But, yes. but now Christian Questions is made up of this massive team of volunteers that are literally in, in different countries even – that help but to contribute and put together all of the different ways uh, through social media and so forth that we we want to share the gospel, and it's everybody's got the same idea. I want to I want to honor God. I can I can help. I can help. I can help. So we all do the part that we're good at, and that gives us the ability to do something that's bigger than ourselves. And you know sometimes we have ideas that we can't accomplish, but what's to say that that idea can't be accomplished if we even maybe hand it off? Oh, I like that. Just pass it on. So what if you can't do it? Find someone who can. Be your best spiritual self. There's a lot less pride involved in life when we go to being our best spiritual selves. I'm going to go to a different soundbite now. This is Caroline McHugh. Uh, she is Scottish. She has a ter- very thick Scottish accent. I love the Scottish accent. I don't know why. I could listen to it all day. Um, and she's talking about the art of being yourself. You know, uh, this other woman is talking about the myth of self-discovery, and she's saying, okay, here's the art of actually learning how to be yourself. And she talks about the growth process involved. And she talks about – well, I'm going to let her explain it because she'll do a much better job than me. But listen carefully 
to the process that she puts in place here. You're very familiar with the superiority complex. If you have a superiority complex, you pretty much think you're the most important person in the room. If you've got an inferiority complex, you suffer from an over-modest self-regard. Now, these are both signs of a fragile ego. One of them is about delusions of grandeur, and the other one delusions of insignificance. There's a third way of being in the world, and I call it interiority. This is one of my made-up words. So the word interiority describes a particular disposition. And there's two reasons it might be useful to you. Number one, it's completely uncomparative. If you have a superiority complex or an inferiority complex, you need other people around. For a superiority complex, you need other people to be smaller. For an inferiority complex, you need to suffer from the I'm going to be found out syndrome, so somebody needs to find you out. Interiority is entirely unrelative. So to operate from this position of interiority, it's like a perceptual vantage point. It's a sensibility. It's an orientation. And it's the only place in your life, the only place in your life, you have no competition. And that's the beauty of it. She's saying to be yourself, your truest, highest self, you need to have an interiority complex. No competition with anybody, just focus on your best self. What is it that you are that you are, you are being called to, being called up to? And for a Christian, it's to be called up to your highest spiritual self. That is, is borne out in Romans chapter 12. We're going to do verses 3 through 8. We'll start with verse, uh, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. See, notice the think equity about yourself, the equ- equitably about yourself. He's saying, don't get out of hand in your, in your thinking about yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but think equitably with sound, godly judgment. Finding our true spiritual self depends on it. Not, not giving ourselves more credit, and certainly, Jonathan, not giving ourselves enough credit for what God called us to. Because, you know, you started out this whole podcast by saying something really important. I just asked you, you know, should we be ourselves? And you said, yes, God called you. There's something there. That's the person you should be. But you don't stay there. You grow. That self has to grow and develop and become spiritually based. Equitable self-treatment opens up the door for what verses four through seven or four through eight are going to describe so let's go verses four through six romans 12. for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function so we who are many are one body in christ individual members one of another since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us each of us is to exercise them accordingly okay so many members one body that's a that's a that's a that's a big a big piece here. Let's go uh, the rest of verse six and the verses seven and eight. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith in service in his serving, in those who teach in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So whatever it is that shows where you are, do that. I shouldn't be looking at somebody else's talents and abilities and saying, boy, I wish I had. I could be a better me if I could only do 
thus and so. What is it that God has given to me to be able to develop? So what's, what, what's the me, myself, and I lesson here? For our best spiritual selves to develop, we need to entirely ditch the idea of competing with one another and focus on finding our place of contribution. Forget about inferiority and superiority and all that. Just focus on what it is that God has given to you. This whole being yourself thing is way different than it looks. That is an important observation. Being yourself then is actually about change. What drives this change in the right direction? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly. But we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. There are several driving forces for the change that we want to see in our lives to get to our best spiritual selves. As we have seen, there are some parts of life that need to come along, and there are other parts of life that need to be abandoned. Courage is the order of the day as we proceed here, because without courage, it's not going to happen. Be yourself. It doesn't mean stay where you are. Be yourself. It doesn't mean keep thinking what you're thinking. Be yourself means Find what it is that is best and strongest and highest about your life. And for a Christian, it is to be your spiritual self. And when we take that and we apply it, that is where life can change in such a dramatic way. And then you can say, wow, myself is blessed and has great potential because God is in it. I mean, isn't that what it is? Christ in you, the hope of glory? Amen, brother. So, so if, you want, if you want to be your highest self, you want to have Christ in you. You got it. I'll take that self any day. <laughs> okay? <laughs> any day. Back to um, Dr. Last time for Dr. Joe Dispenza in his introduction to Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, uh, his lecture. And now he's talking about uh, something significant that we need to, to focus on for a few minutes, the challenge of changing. So 5% of your conscious mind begins to work against 95% of what you've memorized. So the person wants to think positively, but they're feeling negatively. They want to create their dream board, you know, and put up their future life, but they feel unworthy. That's mind and body in opposition. We have to recondition the body to a new mind. So how many people here know someone who's memorized suffering? (laughs) Doesn't have to be you, it could be anybody. (laughs) And you say to that person, hey, did you read the book I gave you? What do they say? No. Did you see the DVD I gave you? Oh, no. Hey, listen, we're going to go out to dinner, we're going to go see some stand-up comedy, we're going to go for a walk along the water, you want to come? No. What are they saying? I'm insisting on this neurochemical order that no person, no thing, no experience can move us from it. That's pretty powerful. And it is. we all get into that mode where the opportunity, like you said, you know, you, you, you know change the way you think. No, that's, that's okay. I'll be all right here. No, you won't. 
That's not what your life is about. And look, sometimes, Jonathan, we get stuck in it. Okay, you're stuck and you, and you have to go through the process of getting unstuck. It doesn't happen mm-hmm. immediately. It doesn't happen just because I say it's going to happen. Right, right. We have to go through it. So we have to be patient with ourselves. But always keep in mind that growth process of our highest spiritual self. So here's where we find that new spiritual self. First, there's the matter of how we see one another, okay? So seeing one another properly is one of the bases for a higher spiritual self. Second Corinthians chapter 5, uh, let's start with verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Okay. Don't look at others according to the flesh. You're the brotherhood, we should see them through eyes of spirituality. And that, Jonathan, can be hard. It's true, Rick. Because we, need to, we need to look at them uh, with the robe of Christ's righteousness covering them and not looking under it at the flesh and the mistakes and weaknesses that we all have. It's look at Christ in them. And sometimes, you know, when we're feeling like, uh, you know, we're feeling a little inferior and you see somebody else fall, you want to just sort of jump all over that and say, I guess they're not so spiritual after all, are they? (laughs) That's the flesh creeping in, isn't it? That's the old self. That's not where we want to be going. Verses 17 and 18 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this now, because our sight is now striving to be spiritually driven, we can now embrace our new spiritual self. So first we had to see one another properly, and now we have to embrace the new spiritual self. You have become a new creature. Old things are passed away. You're somebody new. Yourself is new. It's incredible. It is. All right. Well, the last uh, four points of um, the process of change to a spiritual um, follower of Christ. Um, number nine, use study helps uh, in your, your wisdom and understanding. Number 10, participate in Bible studies. Number 11, share the good news with others. And number 12, keep learning, keep growing. And every single one of the steps that you mentioned, Jonathan, every single one has one common denominator. And, it's and what's that? Humility. Every single one of them was just be a part, just be a part, just contribute, just just do that little bit that's in front of you. That's how we become our highest spiritual selves. Let's go back to Caroline McHugh. Those 12 steps were really, uh, before we go to the next soundbite, really helped to put it in order. Say, okay, these are things that I can do practically every day of my life to help me toward that spiritual self. So thank you for, for thinking those things through. Really very profound for us. Back to Caroline McHugh in her TED Talk, The Art of Being Yourself. Uh, remember, she talked about interiority versus inferiority or superiority. Now she's going to be talking about uh, perception and approval addiction. And uh, Pay attention to this. The most visible you that you represent to the outside world is somebody else thinks of you, and there are as many opinions of you as there are people. I want you to imagine you're like a big USB stick, and you plug into the world. You show up on the desktop of the world. And that's the power of context. If you don't understand that bit, being yourself can be an ill-advised strategy. So of course it's important that you understand perception. There are very few things that I think are gender-specific, but one of them is something I call approval addiction. The need to be liked the need for approbation or recognition or for somebody to tell you it's okay. 
I find more women suffer from that affliction than men. And I think it's one of the most debilitating things when it comes to being yourself, needing other people's approval, living somebody else's opinion and mistaking it for your own. It's one of the most debilitating things you'll do on the road to being yourself. You will never, ever be perception-less, but it's important to be perception-free. So again, she's talking about the, 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 the need that we have for approval. And Jonathan, that can really mess up our striving to be our highest spiritual selves. You're right. You're right. Because, look, the, and, you know, we started with how to find our new spiritual self. First was see one another properly. Second was embrace our new spiritual self. Third, now, look, the only approval that matters, the only approval that matters is from, from whom? From God, our Heavenly Father. From God through Christ. And the bottom line of that is I am privileged to be me. If we can get our heads around that, we can really begin to develop our highest spiritual selves. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 to 25 is right along those lines. Let's do verse 20, to, 20 and 21 to start. But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Okay, so is my best self in line with simply seeing value in myself and all those around me? See, sometimes it's mutually exclusive. I either see value in myself or I see value in those around me, and the two never mix. You got to do both. That's what the verse is saying. You know, many members and each has a function, and that's what's described more fully in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, now verses 22 through 25. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and on our less presentable members becomes more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. Now, you see what's happening in these verses. Uh, Caroline McHugh was just talking about, uh, you know, perception and approval addiction, being addicted to just, you know, feeling like you're acceptable to others. What the apostle is saying here is that the body is naturally acceptable. Each part is. And he's saying those parts of the body that may outwardly carry less honor, we give greater honor to. So the true body of Christ, Jonathan, if we are acting in accordance with the way it's supposed to work, we don't have to worry about being accepted. That's right. It doesn't matter how small a role you play. Everyone's important. Right. And the, the apostle says, those parts that are, are, are less honorable on the outside, we give the greatest honor to. He takes that whole approval thing away. And, and you know, that's why the scriptures are so powerful, because they give you answers to the practical issues of everyday life. And this is how to deal with that, that approval addiction that so many of us have. So what's the me, myself, and I lesson here? Well, Rick, your value as well as mine is entirely dependent on God's assessment and nothing else. This is good news as he knows our frame and wants only what's best for us. Only God and his judgment of us is what matters. 
this all of this is most unnatural it's a most unnatural change because it's formatting a spiritual mind within an earthly body that's what church was saying earlier this is yeah, not it, natural it's it's a battle. It is. It is. And we have to be willing to fight the battle. The battle. And there's something specific that we need. Let's go back to Emily Warren and her TED Talk. And she's going to tell us what we need. And I love this part of the talk. Here are the skills that I think are critical to taking charge of who you are and where you're going. We need grit. Grit is a concept developed by Dr. Angela Duckworth, from the University of Pennsylvania. Grit is the tenacity to keep going in the face of challenge. It is the humility to admit that this is really hard and we are not going to be good at all of it. We need grit, spiritual grit. Also through a tornado experience, (laughs) You need it too, Rick. Yeah, well, you know what, Jonathan? And you're right. We have tornado experiences in our lives. We just happened to have a physical one last week. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when you have those experiences that sort of literally tear down everything around you, and you can look around and say, what do I do? And you just take the next step. You take the next step. And it's not crawling, you know, curling up in a corner, but it's taking that next step. And, and, and finding your way through little piece by little piece by little piece. And I will tell you, Jonathan, when those trees fell and looked like we were going to be stranded in our house for a long time, the next morning, I, I had sent a picture out of it to my family, my daughters and all. And the next morning, early in the morning, like 630, I get a text from my son-in-law, Dan. And he says, Dad, on my way. And shows up with his brother and their chainsaws. And then my brother shows up with his chainsaw. And literally, we cut our way out of the dilemma. I saw the pictures. They're amazing. (laughs) And you know what, Jonathan? We We cut our way out not because of me, but because they came to my aid and I could work with them. What a powerful lesson. That's the grit to just move forward a little piece at a time. Romans 8, 31 to 36. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, who is the one who condemns. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. See, this is the focus. What shall we say? If God's for us, who could be against us? It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what it feels like. What matters is what is. Our highest spiritual self sees God's will in our lives. Our last soundbite, going back again to uh, Emily Warren, uh, and she said there were two things that we needed. She talked about grit. Let's hear the second. We need tolerance. Being okay with not knowing if this is what you should be doing not knowing exactly where we're going, but being confident in our ability to make it work. So the next time you find yourself struggling with a decision or worrying if you're on the right path, I want you to get your grit on. Be tolerant with yourselves. Let go of the expectation that you need to find yourselves or figure things out perfectly, right here, right now. 
get your grid on. Be tolerant with yourself because you're not perfect and it's okay. God knows. So let's move forward. Now it takes the discipline. The fight for our true spiritual selves is worth it. And finishing up with Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and 36. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. It takes discipline to read that scripture and say, this applies to me. This applies to me being myself, my highest spiritual self. And Rick, it's not about staying where you are. It's about leaving where you are. That's right. It is. It's about leaving where you are and going to where God has called you to go to. That's how to be yourself if you're a Christian. What's our final me, myself, and I lesson here? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Be your best spiritual self. It's simple. Our best spiritual self is built on the idea that it's Christ in us. It's not Christ in us happens and that's that one thing changes our lives forever and then, and then we just go to heaven. It is a process of building and developing and becoming more and more and more what God wants us to be. Yes, folks, be yourself, but don't be the self that you were. Be the self that God is calling you to be, that higher spiritual self, and life will change. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you have enjoyed being with us today. It really is an important subject. It's though simple. Be yourself in Christ, and we want to take it step by step. So until next week, be yourself in a new way. Think about it. Folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we will be talking about part two of Is the Hell of Christian Tradition Taught in the Bible? Lots of commentary, lots of things going back and forth. Wait till you see what we have from a scriptural and historical standpoint. Talk to you next week.